Welcome to Rethink, the podcast that empowers you to challenge your existing beliefs and embrace new, more productive ways of thinking. Here at Rethink, we believe that the key to self-fulfillment lies in shattering old thought patterns and adopting new mindsets that support personal growth and empowerment. With expert guests and thought leaders from a wide range of fields, we explore strategies and insights that can help you achieve success and fulfillment in all areas of your life. From relationships to career, business ownership, and health, you are the source of your own success. We're just here to help you tap into your true potential and create a brighter future. So join us on the journey of personal growth and empowerment, and let's rethink what's possible for our lives. Common Leadership Styles and how to find your own. That's what we're talking about today on Things You Should Know. Stick around. The Things You Should Know podcast, it's our pleasure to welcome you each and every week. Some of the topics that we discuss on this podcast range from tech to innovation, health and wellness to, yes, unsolved mysteries and crimes. You picked a great day to join us. We've got a great podcast ahead for you. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy. Thank you for joining us at Things You Should Know Podcast. Hey, you. Yes, you. You're listening to Things You Should Know Podcast. You like it? You like to hear more? Well, great. Would you like to know two different ways that you can support the podcast? All you got to do is when you're done listening to this podcast, go down into the notes, the show notes. There are two links there. Either one. Check them out. Thanks again. Have a great day. you complete this sentence a good leader should always what well how you finish that sentence could say a lot about your leadership style leadership is a fluid practice we're always changing improving the way that we help our direct reports and help our company grow whether we're entrepreneur or whether we are working for someone else the longer that we lead the more likely we'll Uh, change the way that we choose to complete that particular sentence because we change over time the dynamics our projects our tasks our requirements they all change and they will require us to be flexible in order to become a better leader top leader for tomorrow we need to know where we stand today do you know what the eight most common leadership styles are Well, today we're going to help you understand the impact of these leadership styles on you, on your company, what they say about you, how they can help you be more effective in all that you do. 
Welcome, guys, to Things You Should Know podcast. My name is Kelly. I'm the host. It's my pleasure, as always, to welcome you into the podcast. Very uh, key message today because we are all leaders in our own right. I don't really think um, folks who are followers listen to a podcast like this, uh, this, and that's nothing negative to say. And the reason I say that is this. I think that a type A uh, logic type mind and more aggressive type person in their thoughts and their abilities to want to learn more and to get out there, listen to a podcast like this. And more than likely, people who listen to this podcast uh, lead teams, lead efforts, spearhead opportunities and requirements, either uh, in community environments or at their homes, in their personal relationships. And yes, of course, at their places of employment. You're always seeking information, seeking knowledge for the purposes of being empowered. Why? It's what we always say here on the podcast. An empowered person is informed. That's where the power comes from. If you're informed, you have the capability, the ability to make a better decision. And your decisions lead to your quality of life ultimately. And that's what we do here at Things You Should Know. So if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. And why don't you go ahead and subscribe now? To the podcast, because we've got a lot of good information that can affect you, quite honestly, and change the course of your uh, your life, your career, your relationship for the better, quite honestly. Um, today, we're talking about leadership styles. This is important. Not that anything that we talk about here is not But knowing your leadership style can put you on the path to becoming, number one, a more effective leader. And again, whether you are managing a big or small team, you work at a big or small company, it doesn't really matter whether you work for yourself or someone else. Whether you don't work at all, you could be a mom of three or four kids. You could be uh, the chairman of a social committee. You could be uh, a board chair or a board member. It's important to be able to identify your leadership style and knowing your leadership style and understanding what the styles are. You can also identify and know maybe the style of your director, of your VP, of your manager, of your chairman. That's important because you can identify what some of his or her goals may be. And instead of finding a contrast, you can find some similarities and ways to work together. And ultimately, you want to meet your community goals, your company goals, your board goals, whatever your goals and requirements are. That's the reason why you're part of that particular team. And this is um, why you need to know your leadership style because that can help you accomplish your goal. So let's get going. Why it's important. Why is it important to know your leadership style? Well, knowing your leadership style is critical because it can help you determine how you affect those whom are under your direct influence. Uh, How do you, how does, how does your reports see you? How do your direct reports see you? You know, if you are a team leader, how do they see you? Uh, Do they feel that you're an effective leader? Many times uh, without uh, a customer satisfaction survey or some sort of um, mechanism by which to garner uh, anonymous information from your team members or from your customers or from whoever you are leading. Many times we may think we're being effective and quite honestly, we're not. 
So it's important to get the feedback from your direct reports. It's always important to know to ask for that feedback to help you understand where you are, how you're doing, knowing your leadership style prior to asking for the feedback can also be helpful as a starting point. So that way, when you receive, let's say, junior employee thoughts, you can automatically uh, decide which new leadership style would be best and which would help to adopt the style's characteristics in your day to day management duties. In other words, there are right now, in particular, in this, this article, uh, we're looking at eight different leadership styles and no one style is for everyone. And no one style necessarily should be used all the time because this is a fluid situation. So it's better for you to know what the styles are. Maybe pick out who you think you are there in it. You know, we're going to do a little bit of an assessment at the end. So I'm going to give you some examples and you can decide, hey, yeah, that sounds like me. Hey, yeah, that sounds like my boss. Hey, yeah, that sounds like my wife, my husband, etc. My dad, my mom. Help you understand their patterns of thought. And what it is that they're after. All right. So what are the leadership styles? So number one, we're going to start with a democratic leadership style. Uh, this is commonly effective. According to this article, democratic leadership is exactly what it sounds like. The leader makes the decisions based on the input of each team member. He or she makes the final call, but each employee has an equal say in the project's direction. Now, this sounds you know, pretty fair, which is one of the reasons why it's one of the most effective leadership styles, because it allows employees to exercise their rights, their authority, their voices. They feel like they're being heard. And it resembles um, how decisions can be made in a company board meeting, for example, or overall. What what do we do about it? Because uh, this is our company. Uh, here's an example. In a company board meeting, a Democratic leader might give the team a few decision-related options. They could then open a discussion about each option. Okay. After discussion, uh, this leader might take the board's thoughts and feedback into consideration, or they might open the discussion up to a vote. I have, um, in, in doing the research here, I started to think about, obviously, what my leadership style is. And I think most of all, I use a democratic leadership style as a basis, as more of a foundational kind of deal. My, my beginning is always to be inclusive. Uh, sometimes you can't do that, you know, to, to a certain degree because a decision has to be made. And perhaps, you know, a number of examples, maybe your team members are, uh, don't get along or maybe your team members are not educated enough to, um, on a particular subject matter in order to make a decision, give you feedback. But, Notwithstanding all of those things, I like to include folks because, number one, uh, everybody has to do the work. No one person can can run a company and you want to get people's buy in to make them feel part of the process, part of the solution. OK, so I normally start off with a Democratic leadership style. So as we go through these, you think about yours. So that's number one, Democratic leadership style. Number two, autocratic leadership style. Now. Uh, contrastingly, this is rarely effective. So an autocratic leadership style is the inverse of the democratic leadership style. And in this leadership style, the leader makes decisions without taking input from anyone who reports to him or her. 
employees are neither considered nor consulted prior to a change in the direction, whatever the direction may be uh, within the company, within the meeting, within the board. And they're expected to adhere to the decision, uh, to that decision at the time and to, you know, take these instructions and, and march forward. So an example of that could be when a manager changes the hours of work shifts. Imagine if you work shift one uh, and shift one normally starts at eight and you get off at four. Well, what if he changes it or she changes it to seven to three or nine to five? You could have daycare or school drop offs. All of these things could be sort of jumbled because now your manager, your director, whoever has decided without asking, uh, getting your input or your coworkers input about the shifts. So that's an example. So think to yourself how uh, satisfied you would be as an employer, dissatisfied you would be if someone was to do that. So that's number two. That is an autocratic leadership style, rarely effective. Let's take a quick break. Hey, I'm going to get you back to that episode really quick. I know you're enjoying the podcast. I wanted to say thank you, break in really quick to say thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Three things really quickly. Number one, thank you for listening. Number two, please go down in the show notes. We have a new um, way to communicate, and it is through text. So we'd love to hear from you guys. So please send us a text message. When you're done listening to this episode, we'd love to know what your thoughts are. And then lastly, please go into our digital store. We've got a lot of digital products there that can help you be supported throughout these content deliveries throughout the podcast. There are ways for you to download these worksheets and eBooks and different things that can help really solidify some of the content that we talk about here on Rethink Podcast. Thank you guys so much, and I'll get you back to your episode. So a lazy, fair leadership style, sometimes effective. So this is, uh, you know, a French term. If you remember your high school French, you'll accurately assume that uh, this leadership style is the least intrusive of leadership. This term literally translates to let them do and leaders who embrace it afford nearly all authority to their employees. So as opposed to democratic or the autocratic here, the employees are tasked with actually making the decision. Let them do. So, for example, in a young startup, you might see a uh, let them do type atmosphere around the company founder. And he makes no major office policies around work hours or deadlines. Just wants the work done. You guys figured out. Here's here's the requirement. Here's the due date. Just get it done. And they may put, you know, full thrust into uh, getting it done and, and, and it may work. It works for a lot of folks. I think you have to know your team. I think you have to know your employees uh, in order to be able to do this, because ultimately you are the owner, the boss, the CEO, the VP, the manager. And if it doesn't get done, then uh, the onus will fall back on to you. So lazy, fair, and I didn't take French, so I know I'm mispronouncing it. Let them do type of leadership. So number four strategic leadership, commonly effective, commonly effective. And I like this one as well. 
Strategic leaders sit at the intersection between a company's main operations and its growth opportunities. Okay, he or she accepts the burden of executive interests while ensuring that current working conditions remain stable for everyone else. This is a desirable leadership style in many companies because strategic thinking supports multiple types of employees all at once. However, leaders who operate this way can set a dangerous precedent with respect to how many people that they can support at one time. And what the best direction for the company may really be uh, at that particular time as well. So, again, strategic leaders sit at the intersection between a company's main operations and its growth opportunities. He or she accepts the burden of executive interest while ensuring that current working conditions remain stable for everyone else. Uh, Strategic leadership style is uh, fluid. It's changing. Uh, It can be similar to project management, understanding what your stakeholders expectations are and also understanding from an operational standpoint what your company's capacities are and trying to match the two and ensuring that everyone has the tools and the information, everything needed in order to complete their particular jobs. So that's number four, strategic leadership style. Number five, transformational leadership. This is sometimes effective. What is transformational leadership? Well, transformational leadership is always, you got it, transforming and improving upon the company's uh, conventions. Employees might have a base, uh, a basic set of tasks and goals that uh, they compete or complete, I'm sorry, each week or each month. But the leader is constantly pushing them outside of their comfort zone. So in other words, maybe we complete 15 widgets a week and our manager's trying to get us to 20 widgets a week. Obviously, the more widgets we put out, the assumption is more widgets can be sold. And the more widgets are sold, it adds to the company's bottom line. And more money for the company could eventually equate to more money for the employees and perhaps some sort of bonus incentive for that particular manager. That's usually how that works. So when starting a job with this type of leader, all employees might get a list of goals that need, you know, to be reached, as well as deadlines for them. While the goals might seem simple at first, this manager might pick up the pace of the deadlines or give you more and more challenging goals as you grow with the company. This is transformational leadership. Now, according to this article, this is a highly encouraged form of leadership among growth minded companies. For the example I gave earlier, it motivates employees to see what they're capable of as well. Many times, if an employee or you, for example, if you can complete a task and it becomes easy, then you need to push yourself to make that even more. So if 10 widgets is easy for you, then push it to 15. You never know until you try. Perhaps you can do 20 widgets, but it is only because you're going to have this transformational mindset. Sometimes effective. I think, again, it depends on your staff. It depends on the goals and what it is you're trying to accomplish. That's number five. Number six, transactional leadership, also sometimes effective. Very similar to transformational. So let's see what this is. Transactional leaders are fairly common 
today. These managers reward their employees for precisely the work that they do. A marketing team that receives a scheduled bonus for helping generate a certain number of leads by a certain time frame uh, could be an example. So I was part of a sales team early in my career. And, you know, sales in those days, uh, when you met your goal or exceed your goal, there was always some sort of monetary uh, incentive to do so or some sort of gift or prize when you did. Now, let's say you're starting a job with a transitional boss. You might receive an incentive plan that motivates you to quickly master your regular job duties. For example, if you work in marketing, you might receive a bonus for sending 10 marketing emails out each day. On the other hand, a transformational leader might only offer you a bonus if you work if your work results in a large number of newsletter uh, subscriptions. In other words, once your uh, um, uh, subscription, you're, you're asked to be part of a subscription which validates your particular work. Now, transactional leadership helps establish roles and responsibilities for each employee, but it can also encourage bare minimum work if employees know how much their effort is worth at the time. I've seen this happen time and time again. You have the top or the bottom. There's there's really no middle. So you have employees that get really incentivized by bonuses, especially uh, financial bonuses or time off. And you say, you know what, if this week, if we're able to complete 20 widgets, then that's our goal for this week. I don't care if it's Wednesday or Friday. We're off after that. Man, people will work, 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 and the more time off, the better. So let's say you complete your 20 widgets by Wednesday. That means you have two days off, okay, two paid days off. That's one example. The other thing is um, I've seen it where, okay, you get 20 widgets, you get two days off. And people just don't think they can do it, so they don't even try. So they never get the time off, but you also don't ever get the 20 widgets as a manager, as a leader, uh, because it seems out of their scope and, and capabilities of completing. So this leadership style can use some incentive programs to motivate employees, but they should be consistent with the company's goals and use in addition to unscheduled gestures of appreciation. So you have your salary and you have some bonuses, but unscheduled gestures of appreciation. I like to reward uh, folks after they've completed a task. Okay. And I like to do it openly because it suggests to others that they can attain that as well. This works if you're a school teacher. This works if you're a coach. I mean, particularly with young kids, because they see everything, Uh, you know, middle school, high school, grade school, doesn't matter. When they see a coach or a teacher praise one of the students or the student gets a particular reward or accommodation for something, they want that as well. So they will replicate the action. But it's done after that student uh, is rewarded and, and that student is rewarded after they've completed the work. I think you run the chance of not getting the work completed if you provide the uh, suggested reward prior to the goal being completed, if, if that makes any sense. So that's number six, transactional leadership. Two more to go. Number seven, coach style leadership. This one's commonly effective as well. This is similar to a sports team, like a sports coach. The leader focuses on identifying and nurturing the the individual strengths of each of his team members. I've done that. 
Uh, they also focus on strategies that will enable their team to better work together. I think this is absolutely necessary, especially if you have larger teams. This style offers strong similarities to strategic and democratic leadership, but it puts more emphasis on the growth and the success of individual employees. You ever heard the term, you're only as strong as your weakest link? So not in a disparaging way, but consider your uh, weakest link as your employee that uh, is less skilled and perhaps can contrib- contribute the least. So it's your goal and your job as a coach style leader or coach style manager to kind of what we say in the sports world, we say like I'm a coach or something, coach that person up, find out where the deficiencies are and provide them with the tools and the training to get them up to speed. So the optimum performance would be is everybody is an optimum leader and they're performing either at a base or minimal level or higher. Okay. So everybody can do 20 widgets or more on my team. That's the goal because 20 widgets, that's the requirement each week. So we want people to at least be able to do that. If I've got an employee that's only doing 10 widgets, I need to find out what is keeping that employee at that 10 widget a week level. And it's my goal, it's my job to figure that out, provide them with the tools, the encouragement, the incentives in order to get to the 20 widgets a week. That's where everybody else on my team is. Now, rather than enforcing all employees to focus on similar skills and goals, this particular leader might build a team where each employee has an area of expertise or perhaps they are subject matter expert or skill set in a different area. In the long run, this leader focuses on creating strong teams that can communicate well and embrace each other's unique skill sets to get work done. Uh, I sit on a board for my community and there are community leaders on this board. And the majority of the folks in the community are small business owners. And I've been on this board for a little over a year and I really enjoy the work. And I find that when we are working projects, that the skill sets of the particular board members uh, that they've harnessed over the years in their particular trade, in their particular industries, comes to the table. And we usually view these opportunities from our personal standpoints. So let's say, for example, if there is someone on my board that is a CPA, then I know that this person is a subject matter expert in all things uh, from an accounting standpoint. And we can all ask questions about the numbers. But this person may be our, uh, uh, you know, our cornerstone as it relates to ensuring that the finances are correct before we move forward. And so someone on your team, according to this coach style leadership, uh, maybe you want to put a team together that uh, has to do a specific task and it requires several different skill sets. It's your goal as a manager there. It's your job to ensure that folks are up to speed where they are and also to identify where you may have gaps. And then you get someone with that skill set on your team to ensure your team has all of the necessary skills that it needs in order to complete the goal. The widget may require a woodworker, a stainer, and then, I, I don't know, maybe a marketing person to provide some sort of um, marketing information for the widget. Well, maybe you've got two of the three. It's not good to force a woodworker or get a woodworker to do your marketing, nor would it be good to get a marketing person to do your woodwork. 
The goal would be is to find the third skill set. That's going to be your optimum piece. Now, we're moving on to number eight. That was number seven, coach style leadership. Number eight is a, a bureaucratic leadership style. This one is rarely effective. Bureaucratic leaders go by the books. This is, I see this a lot in government. Uh, I have worked over the years um, for, not that I don't work in government, but a lot of the work that I do has uh, to do with customers who are government customers. So I know this bureaucratic style. The style of leadership might listen and consider the input of employees, but unlike uh, autocratic leaders, uh, but the leader tends to reject an employee's input if it conflicts with the company's policy or past practices. This is why people have difficulty uh, working for the government or having government as a client or just dealing with government, period. Because how do I say this? It, it seems that in many instances, if it hasn't been done before and if it's not in the book, they won't even consider it. Like they can't think out of the box. Many times you're dealing with people on certain levels that they, they can't really affect change. They're just being told to follow these guidelines, follow these instructions. And within government, it takes so much. You've heard the term red tape. There, there's so much red tape in order to get anything done. And part of it is because people tend to uh, go outside of the color outside of the lines when it comes to government. Let me give you an example. I worked for a transportation company when I first came out of college. This was in the 90s. And we were in Desert Storm. And I recall seeing bonuses and additional monies being paid to our company for the equipment that was being used to transport uh, weapons and cargo and different things into the Middle East because it was just sitting there. And if you're in transportation, perhaps you know that demerge uh, is one of the highest accessories there are. That means you have a piece of equipment. It, it belongs to a transportation company, usually a steamship line, and they want it back. And they'll give you two or three free days. But after that, they're going to charge you for just having it. So needless to say, for Desert Storm, the, co- the containers were being used as storage many times. They're just sitting out in the desert. So 100 Containers, maybe at, at a particular location. I'm just throwing this number out to make it make it the math right. But let's say I had 100 containers. You know, the Navy was sitting on 100 containers. They needed it for storage or for weapons. And I was charging them 30 or 40 dollars a day uh, for each container. You can see how this will add up uh, in a week's time, in a month's time and certainly over a year. Well, I also know that that pricing is not the same price for a commercial customer. Commercial customer may only get paid, or I'm sorry, get um, billed $30 or, I don't know, $15 a day or whatever the the rate is. It would be lower. My point is people would uh, overcharge the government because they know they were going to get paid. They knew they were going to get paid. So many times you'll see there's red tape to to bar people from coloring so far outside of the lines. So while I understand that, it becomes problematic when there's a new way to do something, more efficient way to do something. It also stops the flow of new ideas or seemingly. Now, of course, this is going to depend on who uh, the person is you're dealing with within the government. Some people can 
influence change. Some don't even want to do it because they know, even as employees, this is going to take a while and I don't have the power, the strength, or the mobility to do that. So you may run into a bureaucratic leader at a large, older, or more traditional company. Yes, done that as well. We don't do that here. We've never done that before. This is not how we do that. These sorts of comments. It suggests to me that you're not open to hearing any type of um, new ideas. Some people are adverse to change. Now, these companies, a colleague or employee proposes a strong strategy that seems new or non-traditional. A bureaucratic leader may reject it immediately on the face of it, just because it's never been done before. Their resistance might be because the company has already been successful with the current processes and don't really see the need for it. Maybe a waste of time, waste of resources. Why do it? What we're doing is fine. Employees under this leadership style might not feel as controlled as they would under a autocratic leadership, but there's still a lack of freedom. You can't really you're not really encouraged to think differently or to share ideas or to uh, do anything innovative. Just stick, stick it, stick with the book. If it's in the book, do it. If it's not, don't do it. So uh, hopefully you're not in a position like that. I know many people do work for the government, but uh, hopefully it's not as bad as um, as the article here is painting. But number eight, bureaucratic leadership style. All right. So we're going to do a leadership style assessment. And then I'm going to talk to you about leadership styles uh, that can be effective maybe the best for your team. We're just going to kind of briefly go back through some of the ones we just uh, talked about and maybe even a couple new ones and just see where uh, you think uh, these could benefit you. Okay, so now that we are knowledgeable about the eight different leadership styles, uh, let's talk about something called logics, action logics. This is a part of a leadership style assessment. Leaders can carry a mix of the above of what we just talked about. Leadership styles. It depends on your industry. Of course, it depends on the type of team you have. It depends on who you are at the root of these styles. According to a leadership expert named Bill Talbert and David Rook, it's something called action logics. Now, what are action logics? Action logics access how leaders interpret their surroundings and react when their power or safety is challenged. So the idea behind a popular management tool called Leadership Development Profile, this was created by Professor Tolbert and psychologist Susan Cook Gruder. It was featured in the book Personal and Organizational Transformations. The survey relies on a set of 36 open-ended sentences our sentence completion task to help researchers better understand how leaders develop and how they grow. So what we're going to do is look at some outline action logics, about six of them, using open-ended sentences that help describe each one of them. So what you want to do is see how much you agree with each sentence, and at the end, you want to find out what type of leadership style you uphold based on those action logics, Okay. So depending on how you answer these questions, in other words, it's going to tell you, are you bureaucratic, are you democratic, are you autocratic type of leader? The first action logic is called individualistic, individualistic. 
So the individualistic is a self-aware, creative, and primarily focused on their own actions and development as opposed to the overall organizational performance. Some things an individualist might say, quote, a good leader should always trust their own intuition over an established organization process, end quote. Individualist number two may say it is important to be able to relate to others so I can easily communicate complex ideas to them. And the third thing that an individualist might say is I'm no longer I'm sorry, I'm more comfortable with progress than sustained success. And you'll notice in a lot of this, it is a singular viewpoint. Okay, so that's number one. That's an individualistic viewpoint. Number two, strategic. Uh, Strategists are acutely aware of the environments in which they operate. They have a deep understanding of the structures and the processes that make their businesses tick. But they also are able to consider the framework that are that's around them and evaluate what needs to be improved. So they can critically evaluate the frameworks and they can evaluate what needs to be improved. Here are some of the things they may say. Strategists may say, quote, a good leader should always be able to build a consensus in divided groups. They may say it's important to help develop the organization as a whole, as well as the growth of each individual and their achievements. They may also say conflict is inevitable, but I'm knowledgeable enough about my team's personnel and professional relationships to handle any friction. So that's number two, a strategist. Now, remember, as we go through these, you can either hear yourself saying this, hear your manager saying this, uh, see yourself not saying it, et cetera. And the ones that are closest to your ideas and ideologies, that's kind of where you're going to fall. Number three is the alchemist, the alchemist. So the Rook and Tolbert uh, book describe uh, this character, charismatic action logic as the most highly evolved and effective at managing organizational change. That's the alchemist. If you know anything about alchemy, you know why they're saying it. What distinguishes alchemists from other action logics is their unique ability to see the big picture in absolutely everything, but also fully understand the need to take details seriously. Under an alchemist leader, no department or employee is overlooked. All right. So here's something alchemists might say, quote, a good leader helps their employees reach their highest potential and possesses the necessary empathy and moral awareness to get there. They may also say it's important to make a profound and positive impact on whatever I'm working on. And lastly, they may say, I have a unique ability to balance short term needs and long term goals. So it's number three, an alchemist. Can you hear yourself saying any of those? Have you ever said any of those? Number four is an opportunist. Opportunists are guided by a certain level of mistrust of others, relying on a facade of control to keep their employees in line. I've seen this many times. Opportunists tend to regard their behavior as legitimate in the cut and thrust of an eye for an eye world. Unfortunately, I've seen this 
way too many times. So an opportunist may say, quote, a good leader should always view others as potential competition to be bested, even if it's at the expense of the professional development. They may also say, I reserve the right to reject the input of those who question or criticize my ideas. That's an opportunist. That's number four. Number five, a diplomat. Unlike the opportunist, the diplomat isn't concerned with competition nor assumes control over any situation. Instead, this action logic seeks to cause minimal impact on their organization by conforming, conforming to existing norms and completing their daily tasks with as little friction as possible. Here's some things a diplomat might say. A good leader should always resist change since its risk causes instability among their direct reports. A diplomat may also say it's important to provide the social glue in team situations safely away from conflict. And then lastly, a diplomat might say, I tend to thrive in more team oriented or supporting leadership roles. That is number five, a diplomat. Number six, an expert. An expert is a pro in their given field, constantly striving to perfect their knowledge of a subject and perform to meet their own high expectations. The expert, as a talented individual, contributes and is a source of knowledge for the team. But this action logic does lack something central to many good leaders. What is that? It's emotional intelligence. What would a expert say? An expert might say a good leader should prioritize their own pursuit of knowledge over the needs of the organization and even their direct reports. And also an expert might say when problem solving with others in the company, my opinion tends to be the correct one. You know anybody that ever says that? So question is, which leadership style are you based on these particular action Logics. Now, I'm going to place this article on our Facebook page. You can go through it at your leisure and look through those uh, definitions again and see which type of leadership style best describes you and even based on the action logics. Now, lastly, before we close, because I think a lot of you are probably managing teams, let's look at uh, this article. We talked about leadership styles best for your team. Uh, Some of them are the same. Some are a little different, or at least they have a different name and the descriptions may be similar. So we're going to offer you this information if you are leading a team, if you're leading a team. So let's see. Number one is the authoritative leadership. The authoritative leader knows the mission, is confident with working toward it and empowers team members to take charge just as he or she does. The, author- the authoritative leader uses vision to drive strategy and encourages team members to use their strengths and emerge as leaders themselves. Now, when does this type of leadership work the best? An authoritative team uh, leadership is not restrictive. It works the best when the leader is truly competent to take charge, uh, has detailed instructions, or that detailed instructions are not even required. Employees already have the tools that they need to do their most effective work. This is authoritative. In other words, you go in, you ensure everyone has what they need, uh, all the resources and proper tools are in place, 
and skill sets. Everybody's coached up. Say, go for it. You guys, this is what you're built to do. Go for it. I'm here to support you. Whatever you need, you let me know. But here are the expectations. Here are the requirements. Here are the tools. Let's get it done. Number two, we talked about this one already, transactional leadership. When uh, this type of leadership style best works, transitional Uh, I'm sorry, transactional leadership may be appropriate when, number one, you're working with team members who are new to a certain type of project or they need guidance, some sort of detailed guidance on what it is uh, that you expect for them to do. It may also be best when clear goals and a plan to get there uh, will become increasingly uh, productive. Also, clear goals and a plan to get there will increase productivity overall. And then lastly, the team will benefit from celebrating victories together or holding each other accountable when someone doesn't do the work they're supposed to. Now, the downside, as we talked about before, of transactional leadership is that this type of style focuses on the work, not the people. Now, employees are people and they want to feel like uh, they have a broader purpose that, and that their ideas and things like that matter. And they want to feel some sort of meaningful connection, if you will, to their work. Transactional leadership doesn't foster a human connection, a human work connection. So just be aware of that. Number three, they've got something here. It's called a servant leadership, servant leadership. Servant leaders get in the trenches with their team. You know, I'm the president of the company, but uh, if if there's floors to be mopped and customers are coming in, then guess what? I'm going to be helping mopping floors. Their goal is to achieve the best outcome, no matter what what the situation is. And to do that, these types of leaders make themselves available to help with any issues. They work right alongside any other managers, any other uh, employees, and they develop those uh, type of management skills and that teams to uh, manage better employees. Servant leaders coach. They're willing to stay late, get up early, to be called, give you personal phone numbers, et cetera, et cetera. They just want the job to be completed. And this sounds like less of a CEO of a large organization and more of like a startup type of uh, president, you know, a company of a company owner in a, in a smaller firm. That's, that's what it feels like to me. Or that's really what my experience has been. Now, when does the style of leadership work the best? Well, it may work the best when a team is in desperate need of a great example to look to and to learn from. It's great. You know, if you're the president of, you know, you started your own company, you know it, you know, from the bottom up. Anytime someone asks you a question, you know the answer. You can help you kind of coach them up. You already know uh, from an operation standpoint, finance standpoint, uh, marketing standpoint, you've had a hand in putting all of this together. So it doesn't really matter what department, your skill set, you're a subject matter expert because this is your thing. This is your company. This is your startup. So you can really benefit your employees by being in the trenches with them many times. Also works best when a team has conflict and needs mending. So if you've got team members that are not working good together, get in there, work with them and show them what you expect. Show them how to do it, basically. And then lastly, it works well when big projects require all hands on deck. When you are a small widget company and you get a lot of uh, you get a large order for a lot of widgets, that's good. But it's also very challenging. 
because you're used to producing those 20 widgets a week. Someone wants 200 widgets this week. How am I going to get that done? Well, the only way to get it done is if I come out of my office and start making widgets like I used to with my team. Okay. So in order to do that, big projects require our hands on deck. So here comes CEO, the president, the owner. He's coming out to make widgets. What type of leader are you? And number four, Democratic leadership, we talked about that one already, but let's talk about when that leadership style best works. It could best work on a new project that will benefit from brainstorming. Remember, democratic leadership includes and involves all the team members. Everybody gets some input. So brainstorming is a team building activity, a team activity. Number two, it may work when there's a problem to tackle and fresh ideas are needed. So you only know what you know. And if you exclude people, you don't know what they know. And your good idea could be made into a great idea if you allow people to share theirs and you build upon it. A lot of times we are very sensitive of uh, critique, being critiqued, and someone saying, you know, uh, or adding to our ideas. Either we think it's so great, it doesn't need to be added to. But quite honestly, we only know what we know. And in order for your good idea to go to great, it's going to take someone else's input because they could add that additional piece of the puzzle and then complete the puzzle. And then also in a tight knit, highly collaborative teams or in the formation stage, like those startups or new small businesses. This is when a democratic leadership style could work really well is uh, also. Number five is a uh, empathetic leader. Talked about that. When would this leadership style work the best? Well, perhaps when a competent team knows the job they need to do and how to effectively execute that. It could also work when little direction is needed from a, from a leader. You're only there to support, provide support and enthusiasm. Remember, the empathetic leader recognizes great work starts with engaged workers. This type of leader strives to create strong emotional bonds on a team. So it's really personal strong emotional bonds so that working together feels like a sense of belonging. Like you ever heard the term people say, you know what, working here feels like family. That's it. Someone has uh, developed and instituted and fostered this type of uh, empathetic leadership style. Okay. And then number six, a narcissistic leadership. This is the style to avoid. And I think just by the title, you know that. And I'm just going to give you some <laughs> examples, of some narcissistic traits, and you can identify. Hopefully, if you see this emerging in you, you can cut it off and perhaps it'll help you understand while you're having some difficulty dealing with a coworker or even one of your managers or uh, vice presidents. So narcissistic traits, uh, leadership is self-centered, of course, it's often uh, not often results, uh, you know, it's not often results focused and it is disrespectful to the team. This type of leader doesn't lead. He actually or she actually distracts. Also, leadership in this style uh, fosters. Well, leadership overall should foster collaboration. This it just doesn't. It should foster motivation intrinsically, but a narcissist person, a narcissistic person lacks empathy and instead is highly focused on him or her. And that's it. It doesn't really matter what happens, I guess, ultimately to the company, unless the company is theirs. It doesn't really matter what happens to other people on the team. It just 
they're there for for uh, the benefit, self benefit, self gratification. Um, and man, I unfortunately, I well, not unfortunately, because everything's a lesson. I've seen people like this, not a whole lot, but I have seen people like this. I work with people like this. I see more people like this in other areas, and I know on a larger stage, we all see people, particularly in the political scenes, that are definitely narcissistic leadership traits and styles. Um, but yeah, hey. That's it this week, guys. I hope this has been insightful for you. I'm going to post both of these articles on our Facebook page. Please make sure you go over and take a read. Uh, In our show notes, you know, we've got ways to support the podcast. And we're always thankful that you think enough of us to listen, to download, and also support. Uh, We've got a free gift for you there. Please make sure that you give us your email address and we can send you a free ebook on the importance and um, benefits of a personal meditation and yoga practice is really good for your health and wellness. So uh, thanks for checking us out. If this is your first time, don't forget to subscribe. You've got a whole season one to go through. 110 episodes in season one, and I believe this is episode 10 or 12 here. So check us out. Keep coming back to the podcast. Thank you so much. And guys, have a great day. Have a productive day. Thanks. That's all for today's episode of Rethink. We hope that you've enjoyed this exploration of new ideas and perspectives and found valuable insights and strategies that you can apply to your life. Remember, you are the source of your own success and fulfillment. And by embracing new ways of thinking, you can unlock your true potential and yes, create the life that you truly desire. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to support the podcast by sharing it with your friends, your family members, your loved ones and associates, and even your followers on social media. Also, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes for free downloads and empowering ebooks that can help you on your journey of personal growth and empowerment. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We look forward to exploring more ideas and insights with you in the next episode of Rethink.